0: So what are you afraid of? I mean, whenever you hear the word fear, you probably think of that famous Franklin Delano Roosevelt inauguration speech. You know, fearing fear itself. Or as the scientists would say, phobophobia. That's a real thing. You can Google that up. But interestingly, the second sentence in that great part of that great speech, it's often overlooked. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. That's right. It's the nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. That's what he was talking about. That's the biggest risk to us becoming successful. It's not the fear of being reasonably afraid. It's allowing ourselves to become unreasonably afraid, either of things we don't know or things that we've been told are scary. Now, of course, there's plenty of things to be afraid of as a rational person. Spiders. Yes, spiders. By all means, pick them up and move them outside, but please do so with a flamethrower. Or clowns. Clowns are scary. Shots. Is there anybody who goes, yeah, needle in my arm or my butt? I love that. Claustrophobia. I mean, come on, that's as rational as it gets, folks. Small elevator packed. I just know that thing's going to be stopping between the 13th and 14th floors. But here's the thing. The key to the irrational fear, the unreasoned, the unjustified terror what Roosevelt was talking about, it's not being unafraid. When we're looking at a big change in our life, or the unknown, or something that we've never done before, it's not about not being afraid. Rather, the successful, the brave in this world, the fearless, what they do is they're afraid, and then they do it anyway. And that's the theme of this week's show, bravery. Some who are brave, others not so much. And the benefit of knowing the difference. As David Bowie might say, changes. Turn and face the strange. Time may change me, but I can't trace time. And with that, it's time for me to watch the time and get our show underway. You ready to change your world? Let's roll.
1: for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys.
0: Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 129 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, May 2nd, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the bravest man in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend?
1: You know, I got to tell you, your
0: opening really
1: got to me. Like, Aww, right? Like, I'm pointing nice. here. I've got my, I'm pointing at my heart, but you can't Aww. see it. But that's, it did. It was like, I think that your intros are now the best things about this podcast. That's absolutely
0: I, not true. But, I, but It, it I'm is. Having a good, I'm so. having a good time doing them, for sure.
1: I don't think I'm necessary anymore. That's what I was just saying. Well, you know, I told you beforehand, I think we just run your intro 30 times and then (laughs) I take the night off.
0: Well, well, if you're trying to get out of work, that's fine. (laughs) But otherwise, I... Disagree vehemently with that. Um, I would not uh, be the same without
1: you. No, giving. and I well, I would miss talking with you. We would just we would talk anyways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we might as well just <laughs> we get some work done out of it. <laughs> right, exactly. And we we, we we always multitask. do this, right? I mean, we would just talking for a half hour just about all kinds of stuff, and we just should hit record.
0: Yeah. Well, we just saved ourselves. I'm not sure. Night. Yeah, I'm not sure. There would be a lot of people angry with us after that conversation. Well,
1: yeah, yeah, we're both a little bit squirrely today. So yeah, it's, exactly. It, it's it's a little squirrely
0: through. after the. After after the week we've both had, it's been uh, yeah, yeah, it's been.
1: Uh, but I feel, you know what? I feel like this week is going to be a great week. It's going to be really a
0: great week. The May, it's a believe. new month. It's May. It's May Day. It's 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 you know Cinco de Mayo coming up. There's it's it's coming up roses, my friend. It's gonna be it's gonna be all good this month.
1: Oh, and I can't even say I can't say what it's going to be. I can't say who it's going to be. But we have a really big announcement. Huge. Maybe maybe huge. next week I can I can lay on the huge. announcement about our keynote. As for Trump Content would say, Marketing it's World.
0: huge. It's a huge. It's it's a huge, huge. announcement. It's huge. It's yes. <laughs> it's gonna be.
1: It's not like people are gonna think it's Trump now. It's yeah, not exactly. It's <laughs> Please, not. No, it's, it's not, not <laughs> Trump. All right. No, it's it's even if it's, if it's even
0: huger. It's even huger than Trump. Yeah, yeah, for did, sure. we,
1: uh, did we have any news um,
0: We did we had have news some news. This week? We, had, we had quite a bit of news, actually, and um, uh, we, we sorted it out with some priorities here. So it starts us off with the top of the show with the headline, Your Media Business Will Not Be Saved. Um, This article coming to us courtesy of Medium.com and written by Joshua Topolsky. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his uh, name correctly. He's the founder, of course, of The Verge. And he writes in the Medium, he says, Video will not save your media business, nor will bots, newsletters, a morning briefing app, a lean-back iPad experience, Slack integration, a Snapchat channel, or a great partnership with Twitter. All of these things together might help. But even then, you will not be saved by the magical new thing that everything else in the media community is convinced will be the answer to the problem. Capitalized P there. He goes on to really argue in this article for basically better content and less clickbait and really, really, a, really, a, really, a what's going on, sort of as the du jour go to business model for publishers. Um, as he says, and then I, I totally want to get your take on this, Joe, because I, I really liked this sort of at the end when he went, Compelling voices and stories, real and raw talent, new ideas that actually serve to delight an audience, brands that have meaning and ballast. These are the things that matter in the next age of media. So he's basically saying quality over quantity in in so many words. But this is from the publisher of, you know, The Verge and, you know, and and those kinds of publications. What do you make of this?
1: I guess my first of all, I liked it. It's in line with what you and I say all the time.
0: It's it's (laughs) the reason we liked it.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, (laughs) Right? You know, stop creating it. I was actually, while I was reading this, I was thinking of the whole George Carlin stuff thing, right? Right. Stop it with all the stuff. We're just collecting all this stuff, more stuff. And I guess my question to you is, is this still necessary? I guess it is. I guess people still don't. We're still looking for the shiny disco ball object that's going to, you know, resurrect our content business, or, you know, in this case, the media business, or from a marketing side, you know, are are trying to attract and retain customers through some kind of approach, I guess this is still necessary? Yeah, I
0: think, you know, what you've got out there is this sort of mindset still to this day, which is the sort of, I mean, you you know, you can't miss it in your Facebook feed or wherever you look is sort of the, you'll never guess what happens at minute 132 of this next video, you know, and and the sort of the clickbaity sort of thing. And, you know, and it's just replete with pop-ups and pop-overs and carousels that, you know, you have to scroll through to get through. And it's just, it's really, I think, I think, I think there's a fatigue setting in at the consumer level. And I think this is what he's pointing out here, which is this bombardment of content, pop content really, uh, is really sort of creating a fatigue uh, among consumers where, you know, I mean, you can argue quite frankly that this is the reason medium has sort of seen the rise that it has because medium by all intents and purposes seems to be sort of more in-depth, sit down and, Get immersed into a piece and read it for five, ten, fifteen minutes, and and I think I think he's you know I, I think he's I don't know whether he's on top of the trend or sort of as it's starting to the pendulum is starting to swing, but either way I like it. I mean I I think it's yeah. I think it's well needed a, a well needed voice in the in the ocean there.
1: Well, there's 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 two things that kind of uh, hit me here. Well, the one thing is the whole focus the business model focus on advertising, which this is. This is really still. We talked about it last week. This is still the problem. You will continue to see this as long as advertising, then programmatic, then the business model is so fixated on getting other people to pay so that you watch that content. That's right. And they, and yeah. you know, of course, subscriptions are a part of this too. And we'll we talk about that a little later in the episode. I think with another article. But the That's the right. one thing that really hit me that I think is so true that ever, it's it's so simple too. One audience, one niche, one like focus, one platform at a time, like very simple, works every time. Has worked for a hundred years, no matter what technology comes around. And he t- he talks about that in this article. Where what if we just focused on the right people, talking to the right people with the right message consistently? In a a way that they're used to over time instead of figuring out, what's the video or what's the podcast or what's this going to be? And and I throw up my content everywhere on every channel on the web instead of just saying, let's just simply do great work to take a a, a page from Seth Godin. Let's just ship great stuff all the time.
0: it's exactly right, you know. And I, you know, I, I didn't even think about this until you were talking about it. But there was another article that came out this week. Um, maybe I can find it. and We can link it in the show notes. It's from Guy Kawasaki. I mean, speaking of sort of thought leaders out there, Guy Kawasaki talked about this idea of getting beyond busy. You know, this idea that you know, and you know, you've heard me talk about this all the time in in, in master classes and workshops and stuff where. You know, we we are sort of in marketing departments. We're still in this sort of industrial revolution mindset where busy equals productive. And so what's happened over the last however many years as channels have proliferated and platforms have proliferated, we've gotten teams that are sort of measured on their ability to fill those platforms full of content. And so what it inevitably leads to is a demand, an internal demand for more and more and more, which of course can't be fed in any qualitative way. And so we just end up pouring crap into this and feeding it out through the machine just so that we can show the factory is running at full capacity. And that's the thing that's just got to stop. Now, I don't know, uh, Guy Kawasaki takes it broader than this, and he talks about the end of busy in terms of, you know, sort of the idea of how we sort of run our lives and careers and stuff. But I think creating content and what we're what you just spoke to and this what this article speaks to is exactly that, which is this idea of... Filling the con, you know, filling the web more with digital content is not the goal here. What we're trying to do is create some value, however small it may be. And so, you know, the, to to create some value for our customers and prospects, so that we have something of meaning that actually converts or does something. Who cares if it goes viral? It's it's all about driving some sort of action that furthers our business, quite frankly. And I just think it's a great. You know, it's uh, if, in the scheme of life. This article is not going to mean that much to marketers, but to me, it means a lot because it's here's a publisher that is successfully driving a publishing business, saying basically, we have to stop the madness. We have to stop this madness and start focusing on quality ideas that delight an audience. And that's just it's just great to hear.
1: I just did I did a workshop this afternoon at uh, at a at a smaller bank, mid, small sized bank. And we were talking about the average number of ways an enterprise communicates with their customers. So if you have one customer, and, and our enterprise report says it's anywhere between twelve and fifteen different ways. You know, yeah, you webinars, we got Twitter, we've got Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, e-newsletters, videos, whatever right, the case is. Right, Th- right. Twelve to fifteen different ways, and I basically said, almost I was I was such in a weird mood today. I said this. I said <laughs> right. this can't this has to stop. We can't do that well. We can't communicate with our customers in 15 different ways with value outside of the products and services that we offer and have it mean anything for the business at all. What you get is you get a lot of people running around creating a ton of content that does nothing for the audience and does nothing for the business. So you might as well not have done anything at all.
0: And that's... Yeah.
1: So I guess you're right. i am like talking myself into why this article is necessary because I had the conversation
0: this afternoon.
1: <laughs> the same thing where less right. is more, focus and then what is it? Michael Porter is he the one that says uh, saying yeah, no five, is a strategy? Yeah, yeah, you have to say yeah, no. The, yeah, that's yeah, the that's the five
0: the five um the five uh the five fundamental Business, something I can't remember it off the top of my head, but yeah, that's exactly it. But it's, I always say that it's, it's basically like, deciding what you're not going to exactly do. Exactly, deciding like, what you're yeah.
1: not going to do. You have to make a decision you have to decide who you're not going to communicate with. So that you communicate with another group, a high a high value group, a very and probably a customer group. And how do you make that customer a better customer? And you say this all the time. How do you create a better customer? That's what we're right. really focusing on with this, and we just have to be focused, and we have to make the decision that we're not going to communicate with other people, and a lot of enterprises don't want to do that.
0: That's exactly right. So. That's exactly right. All right. Shall we move on to the next story? I guess them? so. I, <laughs> let's,
1: why not? It is, right? If you've it got is, another one in the queue, is. let's do that.
0: It is directly related to what you just said here, but uh, it comes to us courtesy of PubExec.com, publishing executive. The headline here is around content, again, digital subscriptions driven by customer perception of exclusivity. I love this article uh, really a lot because, one, it really speaks to, I think, again, from a publisher, sort of a new way of looking at this as a marketer and sort of understanding this. Anyway, the headline um, is followed then by the lead of the story, which says publishers should identify and communicate clear value propositions that help customers perceive value that aligns with their motivations to purchase. Sounds like a great marketing line to me. Want to know the secret of the digital age? What's behind all the trendy products being fawned over in the business press from the Samsung Galaxy S7 to the iPad Air to the 4G LTE data services? Are really people falling? Oh, anyway, I'm moving on. Data services to Oculus Rift, you, it says, and your journalist. This is, members. this is speaking to publishers here. And your archive, and your op-ed pieces, and your articles, your videos, your graphics, your interviews, your other reporting. Content powers the digital age, says this article. And basically, they go on and they did a study. And they, they pulled out a bunch of data points from this study um, where they actually looked at what customers value the most in content and the first data point is that customers see value in magazines and newspaper content i'm sure joe's heart goes pitter-pat over (laughs) that and data point number two they see value credibility variety and investigative reporting most interesting and then this was the one that fascinated me and then i want to totally get your take on this joe the third data point they said only one of these criteria affects how likely consumers are to subscribe and here's here's where it gets really interesting that the, the idea of exclusivity is certainly the one thing that really drives consumers into a subscription. But and this is the one I found interesting. The more interested consumers are in finding news content that aligns with their point of view, the less likely they are to be a paid subscriber. That was just a fascinating thing. In other words, consumers that are interested in finding things that align with their point of view are less likely to basically pay for a subscription. In other words, we want to be challenged in our thinking before we're going to pay for a subscription or something. That's a really fascinating... That's that's the most important one right there. That's a takeaway right there. That's an interesting takeaway because what we so often try and do in marketing... Is try to find the alignment of our thinking with the customer's thinking and meet that and say, look, we're thought leaders because we think like you. When actually it should be the quite opposite, it should be, no, look, we're thought leaders because we're challenging your worldview right. on something. That's where you're going to find your subscriber and perhaps your most likely customer. I just think it's a really interesting takeaway. And then the article goes on to show some ideas of how to profit from these points. And it's just, I thought it was a really well written. Uh, article. What do you think of it?
1: It's I, I, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go here, but just bear with me for one second because I'm gonna <laughs> Okay. Go. So in my okay. in, in the, the I feel
0: con- the squirrel coming. I feel the squirrel. Well, no, coming. no, 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 no. no. Not, it's not
1: squirrel uh-huh. but I'm just gonna go back because okay. I right. in my uh, weekly e newsletter post this week, or this last week, I talked about, of course, again Alexander Hamilton. So I'm just just give me two seconds on this before you shut.
0: You me are down. so hot on this musical. You just I mean, but this is
1: the book I'm reading now. I'm reading the book.
0: So oh, the book. Oh, I'm all in, right. I'm in the all
1: musical. Right. Now I'm in, in the book. I'm in the middle of the okay. book. All right, and it talks about the two main characters. One is Alexander Hamilton, and the other wasn't is Aaron Burr. And of it, and I talked about the difference between those two. Coming at it, from, of course, from a content marketing standpoint. <laughs> Alexander <laughs> Hamilton always took a stand. Maybe one of the most prolific writers in our history. Uh, maybe one of the greatest founding fathers we ever ha- had. Always took a stand. Always took a position. Always had a belief. Even though a lot of people didn't agree with that, he made sure he got that out there, and he tried to convince a lot of people because he had took a certain stand. Aaron yeah. Burr, who was actually the vice president under Jeff, uh, Thomas Jefferson, never took a stand on anything, never had a belief, never wanted to rock the boat because he felt that would hurt him in politics. Well, how do we, re- you know, how do we remember Aaron Burr? We only remember Aaron Burr because he killed Alexander Hamilton and not much
0: else. <laughs> he never. You know what I always, you know what I always think of when I think Aaron Burr? Do you remember that commercial? with the guy with the peanut butter in his mouth. And it's like, he, the answer to the question was Aaron. I, was like, <laughs> I,
1: I think that's, that's how
0: I remember. Exactly. So okay. the, the whole all
1: point right. of this thing is, and I go back to, uh, you know, my last book, Epic Content Marketing, and this, there's six keys to really, we talk about them all the time, six keys to creating what we call Epic Content Marketing. And one is taking a stand and you have to risk right. alienating a few in order to engender the ones that really become your you're wonderful, loyal customers for a long time. Exactly. You have
0: In to, order to be right for somebody, you have to be willing to be that's wrong. That's exactly
1: right. And I, that's why right. I love this whole thing, because I think the way that you build credibility and the way that you build loyalty is just telling it like it is and sharing whatever beliefs you may have. Whatever those beliefs are, Marcus Sheridan talks about this all the time. You have to rock the boat. You can't just create vanilla content. You ha- And, and that, uh, that's a huge problem right now in enterprises because if you read most, let's say, blog content coming from enterprises, it's just vanilla. Vanilla, vanilla, vanilla oh, all day long. And uh, that's what I loved absolutely. about this because this speaks the truth. This really does speak the truth where you actually have to take a stand on something. To build that credibility
0: and take the next step. Yeah. So exactly. I mean I you know, and you've heard me do this in, in workshops as well, where I say basically, take the last white paper your company wrote and put your competitor's logo on it and give it to somebody and see if they can tell the difference. And see if they go, Wait, this doesn't sound right. If they don't if they can't tell the difference, guess what? You're not you you don't have a unique distinctive point of view on this thing. And that's a hard thing to do. I know it's a hard thing to do because the sales guys go, Whoa, wait a minute. Somebody might disagree with this. And you go, exactly. That's the point. That's the point that they're, at least that gets a discussion going. If they disagree to the point that they're not going to buy, guess what? They weren't going to buy anyway. And so we have to be able to be willing to be wrong for somebody if we're going to find those that are going to be passionate and want to be our this customers. Is
1: where, that's the, This is where it's at the advantage of small businesses without red tape and politics, or as much sure, red tape course, and politics. Absolutely. Because at Enterprise, yeah, this is absolutely. nearly impossible to do. Because once you go through legal and PR and communications and everything else, it comes out a vanilla lollipop on the other side, and nobody wants a <laughs> vanilla lollipop.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. I, yeah, <laughs> I, actually, I I gotta talk, gotta be honest with you. I like a vanilla. There's lollipop. only one There's only one yeah.
1: person in the world that wants a vanilla lollipop, and it's you. <laughs> and they're not targeting yeah, you.
0: Look, I, you know. Okay, did you ever have the orange and vanilla? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the creamsicle kind of yes. thing. Yes. Well, oh, you talk about the push ups. Oh. Uh, no. Well, there's that, but then there's sort of the creamsicle. Lollipops that have the orange on the outside. Oh and the yes, yes, on the inside. yes, absolutely. Oh, come on now, that's.
1: But now I'm hankering for an orange push-up. That's what I really. Those oh, were the best because uh, you could never get those. It would, I will mean, dri- start dripping down your hands way too fast. Of
0: course, yeah, you were done right, and you had sticky hands and all, it that was, like that. It was, all this.
1: This right. is this show is already off the rails. I just off
0: the rails. But let's <laughs> moving on here. We're moving on to yes, okay, yet another <laughs> definitional uh, argument oh, here. No. This article comes to us courtesy of Mediapost.com, and the headline is Native Advertising, ring the bell, ding, 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 definitions continue to confuse. Sadly, this article does not do anything to relieve that confusion. (laughs) Um, The article opens up by saying one of the most vexing questions to people trying to make sense of native advertising, which is also referred to as branded content, brand journalism, and sponsored content, is that the terms are used interchangeably. I can't even stop giggling. Who wouldn't be confused? Well, I'm certainly confused already, and I'm even into the lead of this story. The terms mean different things to different publishers, brand marketers, and other stakeholders. Joe Lazowskis, did I, I pronounce that I think that's right, yeah, correctly? Joe. Joe, yep. speaking at Content Marketing World this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: Joe, uh, Joe, editor-in-chief at Contently, a site for best practices on content marketing and native advertising, breaks it down this way. He then goes on to say, Branded content is a synonym for content marketing Ooh. and other things like uh, right. sorry and brand journalism. Uh, yeah, well, apparently we have a little skin in the I game. I did like the article. second we one. Have, that, well, we, uh,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm yeah. cutting you off. You finish your thing. And no, then no, I'll, no, then please, no,
0: no, no. It's fi- it's fine. It just goes on to go through the definitions and and they bring you to the party, but they they bring you and you're and an article that you wrote recently to the party, but you know, sort of quoting you in a couple of places. And anyway, so I didn't want to sort of. That's all I was going to end with. Is what did you think about this? You being sort of featured so heavily in this, in in this, and uh, the definitions of native advertising.
1: Well, you had me right in the beginning, and and I and I really respect Joe, but I disagree with this. Branded content is not a synonym for content marketing. It never has. It never will be. Uh, branded content starts and ends with content about the brand in some way, shape, or form, and content marketing. Begins and ends with content for and on behalf of the audience and their pain points and needs. That's that's it. That's a very very right. different thing right there. You can you can talk about oh one's needs to be consistent over uh, branded content, which is more like more more or less campaign driven. You can, that doesn't matter to me. It really starts one is brand focused and one is audience focused. By the way, there's nothing wrong with either of them. I'm not saying that one's worse than the other. No,
0: they're great strategies. I'm just saying that it it is.
1: Now, what I I did love about this, and I wanted to get your take, is um, Stephanie Lozzi, they talk about the head of content, talks about brand journalism, and Joe says that he doesn't think that brand journalism is something that actually exists, and I thought that was interesting. Do you agree with that? He basically maintains that brand journalism doesn't really exist.
0: Well, you know, I, look, I I have no issue with the term brand journalism. Um, you know, I what he says in this piece is he says the term should be restricted to brands that sponsor editorially independent journalism um, like T-Mobile's Electronic Beats. I'm not really sure. I, I don't know what the distinction would be there. Um, you know, basically he's saying... If you sponsor editorially independent journalism, I'm, to me that feels like more that's sponsored just an yeah, ad. That's, that's well, that's that. an ad, right? That's I'm going to sponsor your journalism, um, brand journalism. On the other side, uh, you know, I look, there, there, we get into term soup here, where we start, you know, where we start trying to dissect the sort of different ways that brand content and what is the source of brand content different kinds of branded content might be brand journalism brand storytelling brand you know and this and that and the other thing so does it exist for the people who identify themselves as brand journalists in other words they want to write journalistic focused content on behalf of the brand god bless you i'm all for it If, if you want to call that branded journalism i have zero issue with that That would be what it would mean to me is that it is journalistic content, that which requires a journalistic approach, um, that which we would look at as investigative or looking at classic journalism as a sort of foundational aspect of the content being created, except it's being created by a brand. Now, there are varying degrees of that, of course. And so I would, you know, look, does it exist? It absolutely exists. Will it is it a is it a scalable term? Is it something that will yeah. last? I don't well, know. I don't. David David you know, mirman Scott it, it, like
1: that term. Always still, I think, likes that term, which is fine. The reason why I don't like it if you if you use it as in where you're using we're leveraging journalistic techniques as a brand, I'm all for that. That's fine. But yeah, you can't exactly. get into the that's big T point. little yeah, T. That's you, you're point. not talking about big T truth here. That's the difference when you when you're talking about this is not real journalism as we are going to cover is that a thing
0: the, is, is that a th- big t little t is that a yeah, thing? Yeah, big t truth or did you no just i make heard that no out? i
1: hear journalists talk about that all the time
0: okay all right i don't yeah. know i i'm, I'm really I'm, I'm earnestly yeah asking it's like if big if when i'm thing, if so. i'm
1: covering like the big t truth and real really covering journalism really searching for the truth as in if i'm a brand journalist i still have marketing objectives and goals that are leading me this direction so it's really hard to say okay. that I'm searching yep, for the truth, it. right? So that's where I don't like the usage of that because some traditional journalists don't like that, and I'm fine with that because it's different. So that's yeah. that's my take with it. And I don't know yeah. what else was in this article. Do we have to cover this? <laughs> just, <laughs> no, 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 I mean, it's fine. It's just, I mean, they're they're just are oh just talking. I mean, it's <laughs> the whole rest of it is me talking about.
0: The difference between native and advertising
1: and sponsored content. Joe
0: Pulitzer needs a hug. He needs a hug. I'm he tired needs a of big it. hug I'm this just, week. I'm
1: just tired, tired of the whole thing.
0: <laughs> no, it,
1: it's all <laughs> native advertising. You got to pay for it. That's... You got to exactly. pay for it. Exactly. And, and
0: here's and what I would do. And we should link... You know what we should do is link this in the show notes. We should link the piece that I did. Not because it's my piece, but 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 because... We did take a shot at sort of stratifying this. You know, who else has done a good job at this is Andrew Davis. Andrew Davis did a good job. Oh, of you stratifying did with your, this. He calls with it your the article. Too. Yeah. He calls his, the content quadrant and mine is the spectrum. And we sort of outlined this. It's a thing that I've been whiteboarding for uh, clients lately. And, they seem to sort of have an aha moment after I finished whiteboarding it. So I did like a little white video whiteboarding session. Maybe we can link that in the show notes. And well, it might be I got useful it, Okay. People. I got
1: to say this because I missed this part where they were railing on me. Can I just say, say this little yeah, thing I, here? No, that's,
0: I thought where I thought you were going yeah, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm Now that, I'm going to yeah. do
1: it because I read it twice. Now I don't like it. Um, basically <laughs> it says, okay, it says Polizzi describes right. native <laughs> advertising like this. It's a directly paid opportunity. Native advertising is paid a, Play. Brands pay for the placement of content on platforms outside their own media. It's also typically information-based, something valuable, something useful to the reader. And then it says, the author says here, then this is where it goes slightly off the rails. I guess my take on it goes slightly off your, the
0: rails. And native advertising looks
1: a little bit like content marketing. Native advertising can look a little bit like content marketing, but the difference, it has to be that you're paying for it on somebody else's platform exactly you could look exactly the same it could be the same articles if you will one's going on your own media channels you're paying for x that's why it's called advertising you're paying for it you're paying for
0: placement (laughs) i don't
1: know i'm not not that i'm passionate about this or anything
0: no no exactly but they did but
1: the second half is pretty much the article that i wrote uh, on cmi site so you can check
0: that out exactly yeah all right very (laughs) good very good moving along here to our last story of the show Which is a wonderful one, and ironically comes from Contently.com. This one is just—I really love this because the headline is "Metrics Meet Magic: How Marriott CMO Karen Timpone, I'm going to guess her last name is pronounced, reaches next-gen travelers through incredible content." Now we've talked before about the Marriott strategy. David Beebe there is 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 really looking to basically. Transformed Marriott's, uh, uh, a piece of Marriott into a full on media company. I mean, with magazines and feature length films and all this, you know, just content, you know, they have a whole studio. And the article opens up by saying, in early November, Contently's editor-in-chief, Joe Lazowskis, who we just talked about in the previous story, profiled Marriott's thriving content marketing operation. And the main takeaway was clear from the very beginning. Marriott is not only producing great content, but its publishing output is also leading directly to ROI. They then go on to the article explains and and interviews uh, the CMO, Karen Timpone, um, about... How they're looking at content as driving ROI. Now, I want to get your uh, your take on what they said here, Joe. My favorite part of this article was where she said, uh, "Technology is flattening out." This was a wonderful. If those looking to think about a business case for a CMO, this to me is like just such a great sort of way to say it in one minute, which is. She said, technology's flattening out now audiences, or how audiences are created. The media business was really all about owning the creation of content and the reason for people to engage. Being a marketer meant trying to get in the middle of that. Given my background in media, she says, I've spent years in the business of making content and monetizing it. A lot of brand leaders and other industries are coming up to me these days and saying to me, I want to do that too. And my answer is, so go do it. And... To me, it's like, that's just such a very simple, like, yes, this is exactly it. We now have the ability to be the media and aggregate and build and monetize our own audiences. And so go do that. That's the, Nothing's the, stopping you. If you're you. looking for definitions, yes. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that is the definition of content marketing. And it is the definition of why Marriott, an extraordinarily successful hotel chain, is getting into this business in a big way. And I just, I, I loved it. They then go on to talk about how they look at metrics and... ROI and that sort of thing and I thought it was a really good not detailed geeky metrics but high level strategic metrics of how they're actually monetizing this stuff. I thought it was Well, I really think good.
1: what's really important and if you're really starting to analyze your content marketing approach, you start it with how Marriott has started it and they focused on their not only their current custom, customers but their most valuable customers. And they say this throughout yes. this piece. Uh, and yeah, exactly. That's so exactly. important that we look at that. And that's back to your, you know, creating better customers, focusing on current customers. And they go through the whole approach where, okay, we want somebody to engage in our, our current customer to engage in a piece of content. And we know the more that they engage in content coming from us, the we're going to see profitable behavior out of them. I mean, it's basically, it's the business case for content marketing. And then they're going to say, but then we have to diversify into other ways. We want to reach them in multiple ways throughout the day in order to, so that they know, like, and trust us more. And basically she's going through this whole thing of how she does this, how they, uh, they subscribe to more things and how it's working and this whole thing. What I loved about it is my favorite part was without a really focused target customer, it's just an art project.
0: I just love that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It and that's great.
1: where. And and I think. But that's where I think a lot of companies are at. Because if they're if you're focusing on more than one customer or customer base or audience persona, let's say, it does become more like an art project where you can go after awards and it could be this nice fluffy piece and everybody feels good about it, but it's really not going to do anything for the organization because it's not focused enough. And if you're not focused enough, you're not going to be relevant. You're not going to hit your goals. It's not going to work. So. Yeah. That's exactly but, but it. But I did love it.
0: That is exactly it. Well, speaking of hitting goals and also speaking of definitions, listen up, folks at Media Post. This is what you call sponsored content. This is our wonderful friends from Marketo have something to say. Don't th- I think this is I, I th- their asset this, this time? I is like just this fantastic. one. I like this one. Yes. Yeah, spe- yeah, special it's really thanks.
1: Good. Uh, just Just if Robert wasn't clear, this is the advertising portion of the podcast. I just want to be clear since we just went through that. Right, Yes, special thanks to Marketo, our sponsor of This Old Marketing, this episode. We have a wonderful piece of content for you. It's called Nine Must Try Email Examples. And no matter what rumors you've heard, email is not dead. I hope you really believe that because it's not. It's not dead. It continues to be a top-performing marketing channel as long as you stand out and cut through the clutter. To do that, you need to check out Marketo's highly effective email marketing lookbook to get inspired with nine new email types to stay in front and center with clever, catchy and bold content. If you download this ebook, you will find things like, what do you do with welcome emails? How do I get re-engagement emails that actually work? What do I do about abandoned cart emails, advocacy and reward emails? It's just super helpful. It's one of those guides that if you really are trying to figure out how do I work email the right way, this thing will do it. You can download it at CMI, our new our new URLs, I'm loving these new URLs. This is so easy for me it's to fantastic. say. Thank you to the team right. for putting this together. CMI.media slash PNR129. CMI.media slash PNR129. That's PNR lowercase. I love it. It's so easy because this is episode 129. I remember it. I know what the... <laughs> it's just,
0: it's <laughs> right. easy for the talent
1: here. If, if we're such a thing. So, but, Keep things yeah, dead exactly. simple. So, that's, that's the easiest way so to do it. So go check out the Marketo's Highly Effective Email Marketing Lookbook and you can find it, of course, in the show notes at thisoldmarketing.com. And special thanks to Marketo again for making this possible.
0: Thank you. Uh, thank you to Marketo. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your favorite part of the show. This is our Rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel brave or... Something that makes us feel like running, 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 and jumping off a cliff. Um, and let's see. You have this, uh, this old marketing, so you I go, go first. first. And this
1: is a very, very quick rave. And I found this. Uh, shout out to uh, Scott Monty's excellent e-newsletter, The Full Mon- Monty. I caught this one.
0: It's so good. That thing it does is does a great so job. Good. And it's, like, it's really, one of those really must-read really emails. That's thing.
1: what We talk about creating an yeah. amazing e-newsletter. Scott's done it. So if you haven't subscribed to Scott's newsletter, you got to check it out. This article. Full I'm Frontal. Sorry. Yes, exactly. This article that I'm going to rave about comes from Amplify Media, and it covers uh, our good friends at Edison Research and their latest share of ear study. I always love this study when it comes out. I find some of these stats truly fascinating. I just want to go through a couple because I think it's really important for our audience. First, the Edison Research share of your study. First, not 51% of audio is coming from radio. 49% is coming from other. Okay, well, what the heck does that mean? Let's break down the other. The largest other is your smartphone. So 20% are using uh, are using their smartphone for some kind of audio content. But this is what's interesting to me, Robert. So 34% listen to some audio content on their smartphone at least once per day so I'm like okay that makes total sense wow. here's what wow. really kills me from those ages 13 to 24 that number is 68 percent Wow so the the young wow. kiddies out there they are all listening to everything from audiobooks to uh, own music so of that yeah of, so of that yeah. so so here's where there might be an opportunity so of the smartphone usage, is own music, 37% is stream music, 9% is AM, FM radio station, which I don't get. Like, why are you using the smartphone for that? But hey, (laughs) you know, to each their own. (laughs) And 7% are podcasts. So even with all the stuff that's happened with podcasts really taking off, it's still just 7%. So these stats tell me a couple things. First, I really believe there will be a point when the majority of listening will come via the smartphone entertainment device. And I think that's coming real soon. And the future is going to tell us, especially with the rate that kids are listening to audio content, that there is a large upside for audio content of any kind, especially podcasts, which right now is still just a very, as we just talked about, a very small percentage of overall behavior. Now, let's just say a a move to even 15 to 20% from 7% of people listening to podcasts, which I actually think is attainable in the next, let's say, five years, that is huge. If you were going to say, let's yeah. Double, yeah, exactly. double the amount of podcast listening out there, and it won't take much to get there, I think we're at that time. So I guess, you know, not that I'm the one that says, oh, you have to go out and do podcasts. We just had a whole episode telling you you shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. But if you go through the strategy and you think that maybe that's a good way to communicate, I think that a podcast could could be an opportunity for you, depending on what your niche is. So,
0: Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think the takeaway here is that there's a whole lot of ceiling left in podcasts. Yes. I think there's, you know, basically audio content, whether you call them podcasts or whether you call them audio books or whether you just call them audio entertainment streamed over the Internet, um, you know, it, there's a lot of ceiling there left to go because it's 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 really, really growing and, and, and a small. Piece well, and now.
1: I've just I've been amazed, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Every time I release a new book, the so much greater usage of um, downloads of audio books. Over the previous year, and it's going it happens all the I time in it
0: I'm done with mine by the way no Can I tell you i'm way. done yes we're congratulations done. Yeah, we're, we're we're thank you we have now we're putting it all together and getting it all figured out and understanding you know some stuff and all that but yeah it's the recording is finished good so. for
1: you well we'll we'll have to that. make sure we yeah. announce that when it's ready to Ready for procurement. Yeah, exactly. So. exactly. All right, what do you got? Rant or rave? Exactly. What's going on with you?
0: All right, yeah, I have a small rant and a small rave here. So the rant I'll start with. Now, the link to this comes from that we'll put in the show notes is to Um but I'm not ranting about their article they're actually covering an infographic from somebody else what I want to but I'm going to rant a little on the infographic and this idea and the whole idea is basically it's the human attention span the shortening human attention span you've all seen this slide on this slide, there's a goldfish, usually. And the goldfish may be jumping out of a bowl, or it may be swimming in the bowl, or it may be doing something in the bowl, or it may be just a pretty picture of a goldfish. And some, somebody says, hey, did you know that human knowledge, basically our attention span has shortened from 12 seconds to 8 seconds over the last 6 or 7 years, depending on who's studied this getting quoted here. It's not... True, folks. We got to just stop stop the nonsense with the goldfish and the attention. That is this this the infographic goes through this whole thing about how basically the human attention span is so short now. It's so ridiculously short that we don't have the attention span of a goldfish, and thus. You have to do something. You have to create better content. You have to do this whole thing. And you have to basically create messages that are memorable and all this kind of stuff. And it's a nice device. It's an interesting device to say, basically, let's create great content. But we got to stop with that we have a bigger attention span than a goldfish. I'm just going to say it. Now, just because I was sort of interested in figuring this out, I actually went and found... The research studies that this was all based on, based on the last decade of this is sort of this game of telephone as this sort of number has been passed forward and passed forward and passed forward. So first of all, we need to describe what there's two different kinds of attention span we're talking about here. We're talking about one, transient attention. That's reactive. That's the one that scientists will tell you happens in seconds. In other words, whether it's 8 seconds or 12 seconds or 20 seconds, there's a lot of disagreement by scientists and psychologists about this, but it's transient attention. In other words, it's the automatic response triggered by something that happens in your immediate environment. A dog barks, the door slams, somebody drops a glass behind you, and it catches your attention. We're programmed as humans to have short attention spans in that because we get back to whatever it is we were doing. But we are very easily distracted by those things because we have an alert reaction that says, what the heck just happened? That's the small one. What we're talking about when you open a piece of content and you start to read it is the other kind of attention. That's the the sort of sustained attention is what it's called. The sustained attention... Both It varies by age. In other words, young kids don't have it as much as older people have it. And it begins to grow as you get older and all that kind of stuff. But most scientists will tell you that it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 minutes to 35 minutes to even an hour. That's what our attention span is. Now, again, that's small. But if you have something that really entertains you and engages you, Game of Thrones, for example, you'll sit for eight hours and watch Game of Thrones. The whole bottom line is, is that the study that this comes from is this sort of thing that came about how long we actually spend on web pages, which is the study that was done sometime like, you know, three to five or seven years ago or something like that. And this eight second number, which is basically incorrectly identifying the attention span in general, but the eight second number is a true number that came out of this study, but it was basically how long people stayed on the front page of a website. And that's the number that has come down. In other words, in the last five or six or seven years, whatever amount of time you want to look at, it's not that our attention span has gone down. It's that we've become numb to bad content. In other words, now it only takes us eight seconds to to determine that something is not worth our attention rather than 12 seconds. And so... If you want to look at it that way, that's great. If you want to say, basically, things have gotten so bad with content that it only takes us eight seconds to determine something sucks, great. That's a wonderful stat, but it's not about goldfish. Anyway, you
1: know so what? I like, I like that. That's way. a really good way to put it. Eight seconds is the amount of time it takes us to determine whether it's worth being attentive to. Right? That's what you're saying. Exactly. That's it's not right. your attention that's exactly span. Right. You should do a post on that. That's You've right. talked about that a couple times. It's, yeah,
0: I know. It gets me on our... It'd
1: be a good anyway. post, anyway. Yeah. All right,
0: yeah, all right. Maybe okay. I will. My rave, really quickly here. My rave is from Forbes.com, and it's just a wonderfully written article. Um, it the headline here basically that's great. Head, it's one of those headlines you go ah, oh, you. I love that headline. The headline is consultants are eating the agency's three martini lunch. Oh, that's good. And so if I asked you, Joe, I said. Who's the biggest ad agency on Madison Avenue right now? Who's the biggest ad? Who's the biggest ad agency right now? Do you think it's Ogilvy, BBDO, or J. Walter Thompson (JWT)?
1: Um, I don't. I'm going to say Ogilvy. Uh,
0: you're going to you're going to be wrong, and it's a trick question because it's none no. of the above. So the largest agency right now, so so according to Ad Age, all the top three and eight of the top ten ad agencies are none of those names that you just heard. They are consultancies like Deloitte, Accenture, KPMG, and oh, PwC, even McKinsey. That Isn't that is fascinating? fascinating? So all of these, in, now all the way, also tech companies like Adobe, Oracle, and Epsilon have started to offer service components in the form of an agency to their core product offerings. So we, And we talked about this a couple of shows ago where IBM was basically, IBM now has 100,000 people. Working in services in 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 a uh, in a design compa- an agency capacity, and it's crazy how these big big five consultancies have really become powerhouses in terms of creating great creative ad strategies, content strategies. The one that it comes to mind is so Deloitte just purchased an agency in uh, January called Heat. And they were the ones who created that amazing branded content experience for um, for EA, for uh, you know, for their Madden Football 16, which was just an amazing thing. It won a Conline wow. Award and it did all this amazing stuff. So anyway, I wanted to it it's a fascinating trend, and this guy just frames the whole trend really, really well. It's on Forbes, um, it's called Consultants Are Eating the Agency's Three Martini Lunch, just in a fantastic article and wanted to rave about it. That it's is eye
1: opening, if you really think about it.
0: Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, it's a it's an interesting trend for sure.
1: All right, so we have a this old marketing. marketing. It's a this is an interesting one, and I know we've talked about this company before at nauseum, but I've got a new take on it. So let me go back a little bit. So I was uh, I was in Stockholm. uh, What was it a week ago? A few weeks back for Super Content Marketing, and uh, and I had the (laughs) opportunity to meet and listen to Mm -hmm. Robert Spurl, and Robert is editorial director for Red Bull Media House. Now, I've covered, you've covered Red Bull, I've covered Red Bull, but I've never heard the origin story behind Red Bull. And I heard that for the first time. So here's here's the origin story that I got firsthand from Robert Spurl, the editorial director for Red Bull Media House. So back in 2005, Red Bull was, of course, very involved in Formula One racing with their Red Bull racing team. At one of the races that year, they wanted to deliver a race guide to the attendees with all the race results immediately after the event. So in preparation, they went out and dug into some humorous inside stories of the drivers and the event and things that are happening around the track to prepare and write some stories and put together what I would probably call more like a show daily or a mini magazine. Uh, But they wanted to deliver that magazine with the results from the race, which is really hard to do because, of course, the race ends and then people leave really quickly. And how do you do that? So they were trying to figure out how to do it. So they lugged a full Heidelberg press, like one of those big, huge Heidelberg presses that you can think of. It's huge. To the track. They brought it to the track, and as soon as the event was over, they had a lot of stuff pre-printed. They printed in the race results in the uh, previously completed magazine, and then delivered it to everyone as they left the event. So they so as you left with this Red Bull magazine thing, show daily, you left with the results of the race that you just saw like five minutes ago. I don't know how they did it; it's amazing.
0: That's awesome. So this was right. in November
1: of two thousand five, and it, and I would really just call it an activation strategy along with their Formula One partnership. So that's nothing more, nothing less. So then they they continued to do that. Then in the fall of 2007, they decided to transform the Formula One show daily into a full men's lifestyle magazine, following the same formula around really humorous insider uh, type things, uh, really taking a, a really interesting slant at life, uh, but really targeting men and launching this in Austria, Germany, UK, Ireland, and the United States. 70% of the content was international, meaning it was good in any location, and 30% was localized to the region. Now, today, Red Bulletin Magazine has 150 worldwide correspondents. I didn't know they had that many. So 150 reporters, if you will. Five wow. yeah, five Amazing. languages, 10 countries, 2.3 million copies uh, that they, they, they distribute and 2.7 readers per copy. Now, their goal is to deliver as many issues of the magazine as they sell in cans every year, which I think is an interesting goal. That actually comes from the CEO. That's what they thats what they want to see. Uh, today, it is the fastest-growing men's lifestyle magazine in the world. They also have 300,000 e-newsletter subscribers and 550,000 paid magazine subscribers. We talked about that value of the content. Oh, my God, paid that's amazing. Magazine. So, yeah. And by the way, for some of the countries, they partner with traditional publishers to help them uh, in-country. Now, the last part, to me, is the most interesting. Now, Robert said... He said this right immediately, Robert, when he got up on stage for the opening keynote. He said that he was not in the content marketing business, so he felt a little bit weird talking at a content marketing event. He says he's in the media business. He said each country's each country's <laughs> publication right. is measured on the profitability of each of the magazines. Uh, of the country magazine. So they sell magazine advertising and subscriptions just like any other media company. And if a location, if a region cannot be profitable by these metrics, they kill it. They killed, I think, Brazil. Couldn't make it and they killed Brazil. And I think this is what fascinated me the most. And although Robert said that the magazine does indeed help with the can business, they are measured as completely separate entity. And I just thought that that was, I don't, I don't think most people know that. I think most people think that it drives the can business, but they are measured independently of the growth of the can business.
0: Well, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating thing, right? Because that's, you know, that's an evolved sort of, that's, that's an evolved thing, right? Where, you know, we've talked about in this show and certainly we've talked about it in workshops and, and, and consultings and advisories and, you know, at content marketing world everywhere, really that anybody will let us talk. It's, we've talked about this idea of the evolution of this turning into a profit center for the business. Um, You know, I mean, I had this discussion when Jonathan Mildenhall was the head of worldwide creative at Coca-Cola. He and I had this discussion when I interviewed him and talked about their ability to their, well, their opportunity, I should say, to monetize the content in in a, in a way. And he said, yeah, the business wasn't quite ready for that yet. and, you know others that we've talked to we've we've heard craft makes money from their magazine um, experience life uh, which is a, a does a, they're a, a fitness company they they make their their magazine is a paid subscription there's so many different ways that we can literally quite literally and specifically make money from the content that we're creating if it's valuable that it becomes a really interesting proposition for the company and they and clearly Red Bull has sort of figured that out and said, look, yeah, it's, yeah, it's nice that it's a marketing effort and that's great as a branding effort, but quite frankly, it has to earn its keep. And I think that's a really great and interesting well, look, to at, look at
1: it. Go to Red Bull media house and just look at all the things they're doing from their content syndication oh, to the, yeah. to yeah, the, the bands that yeah. they're touring with and all, I mean, those things all need to make money on their own. Each one of those divisions. That's right. fascinating to me. If you, when you look at it that way, yeah, um, So, I mean, I don't know if it's easier or harder. Uh, But, I mean, they've got the blessing of the sea level, obviously, to get this stuff done. And, uh, you know, as long as they keep the, you know, it's, it's great for both sides, right? It's like, hey, I don't...
0: Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. They don't, yeah, they, it's a clear delineation. It's a clear line of where they're, you know, where they actually sort of have to meet corporate goals and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and there are varying shades of this, right there. I was just reading an interview, I think it was last, last week or the week before last, um, with, the uh, um, the guy who runs Helner, I think is his name. He's the guy who runs, he's the editor in chief of GE reports. And, and of course, you know, you don't, you don't, pay for GE reports but as the you know he's a former Forbes writer and editor and and is now sort of running GE reports and as he said in this interview he said look he said I'm not running a marketing program for GE he said I'm running a I'm running what I hope is a very popular science magazine Ah uh, yeah and if and and then and, and then the questioner the person who was interviewing him said, hey well how much pressure do you get to run an article And he said well, you know, he said maybe twenty percent of the time I get a request to run an article that might be favorable to the brand, and he said, "and we can we can take that under advisement, right? We can take we can actually we have time because we've got a very tight editorial calendar and a very solid strategy, and we can actually take a request." to pull that in and actually make it something valuable and wonderful and create a story around it, even though it's a request from the business to say, can you cover this? So it doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be sort of solidly off as its own separate business unit and profitability, but it, or nor does it have to be sort of so heavily branded that it becomes the inbound marketing sort of channel for, for trying to drive leads. There are varying shades of gray in between when you can create value with content for customers and still create value that is for the business, right?
1: Well, and, and I think we've seen, we yeah. continue to see this in the event space. If you look at all the, you know, whether yeah, it's that's exactly Oracle's right. event or that's Marketo's exactly event right. or HubSpot's event or Dreamforce, right? Yeah. Or
0: Dreamforce. I mean, those yeah. things,
1: yeah. if they wanted to be profitable, they could be seriously profitable with those events. Oh, exactly. So it's just interesting how it just depends on how you look at it. And I know in, in some cases, firsthand knowledge, where they get to spend every piece of revenue that they that they bring in on whatever they want and I'm that's like exactly boy, right. wouldn't it be great to have that that's budget right. well
0: and that's how they get the great speaker yeah, yeah exactly that's how they exactly. get the great speakers exactly
1: yeah
0: well what do you, what's to go so what's happening with you this week
1: um i you know what i've i'm button buttoning things down with the final agenda for content marketing world uh so i'm looking forward to getting that done by the way just a heads up it's early bird ending at the end of may so hey you know, if you're going to come, just don't sign heard. up and do that. So I'm not traveling anywhere yeah. this week. I, I've got uh, Marketo Summit the next week, and then uh, and then I'm traveling to Amsterdam and and Norway
0: after that. So uh, what uh, are, you, are you traveling this week good for you? I am. Yeah, I have a quick trip tomorrow. I leave cracked well I was going to say something else but crack a dawn let's just say that um and I go to Philadelphia I'm actually keynoting uh, the J Boy conference there which is a content management conference um that uh, I'll see some old friends um and hopefully make a few new ones and it's a great little conference um and uh and I'm doing that just but it's just a quick overnight then I'm back home and uh, I have a lot of writing to do I'm writing some stuff for uh uh, well, all of it for CMI, of course, but, but it's yeah a couple of research reports I'm working on and 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 a couple of white papers and content. And so I'm going to be heads down writing for a good piece of this week. And then I'm off the following week to uh, to my yearly retreat out the Oh, that's Sunday. right. So that's I'm great. Yeah, I always love hearing your yeah. stories about that one. So
1: fantastic.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose, and we're signing off for this week. And folks... If you like this squirrely episode, number 129, we do hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. And when you subscribe, if you subscribe... Let us know. Tweet us up at hashtag this old marketing. We would love to thank you personally for that. That's how much we love you as a subscriber to this little podcast that we do each week, as squirrely as it comes. And, of course, story ideas. We love the story ideas. Bring them on. Hashtag thisoldmarketing on Twitter. You can tweet us up at any time. And, you know, if you've got a question or you like email better, this old marketing at contentinstitute.com all the links of course that we talked about today will be available in the show notes which will be available in the show as we publish on Monday night and then of course in the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturday afternoon until next week everybody remember, it's your story to tell so tell it well We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing